Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is where we're going to start. Um, We're actually going to read uh, several different passages of Scripture focusing on Jesus' teaching. And uh, this is the last... Uh, this is the last message in our series we've been going through entitled, What Did Jesus Say? And uh, each week we've been looking at one aspect of Jesus' teaching uh, and, and looking at what, what did he actually teach? What did he actually say about fill in the blank? And striving to then apply that to our personal life, to our spiritual walk. And uh, I hope that you will continue in this journey on your own. Uh, there's a piece of this that we need to look at and say, I should be asking this question consistently. I should be approaching uh, every matter of my faith and asking a question, what does the Bible actually teach about this, and uh, in fact, to jump ahead a moment, um, this statement is one of the distinctives uh, within the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America, and it is the basis on which uh, the EFCA measures what are the major points of theology and what are uh, minor, more minor points of theology, and it all is rooted in this question, where stands it written? Ultimately, where in the Bible does it say this? And we firmly believe that if we cannot reveal or show where something, where a foundational belief for us as a church family is in Scripture, then it is not something that we should be grasping tightly to. Uh, We believe that the Bible is God's authority for us, His revealed, inspired Word that is profitable for us in our growth as the church. And so that's really the focal point of uh, this whole series is challenging and encouraging you. Let's step back and let's consider some of these uh, topics or these subjects where we have our own thoughts and ideas in the back of our mind and let's look at what is actually said in Scripture. Okay? And so today specifically, we're going to be looking at righteousness. What did Jesus say about righteousness? And I'm going to be forthcoming with you, uh, there is no possible way that we can exhaust the entirety of what Scripture says about righteousness in the time we have today. So my challenge for you, I'm going to give your homework to you first. My challenge for you is go home this week and pull up, whether it be online or if you, I would encourage, if you do not own a exhaustive concordance of the Bible, that you should look into getting one. It is one of the most beneficial tools in personal Bible study. And the reason for that is with a concordance, whether it be an online one or a handheld one, you can go and look at where else is this word used in Scripture. 
And if you go to the word righteousness, you're going to find so many places across the entirety of just even the New Testament where the subject of righteousness is talked about. And so we're just going to scratch the surface today. But I specifically want to uh, start by looking at uh, Jesus' teachings on this and making some specific observations about righteousness as we begin. So I'm going to start, I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 5. Really, I'm just going to read verse 6, and then we're going to jump to Matthew 6 in a moment, and we're going to read there. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is teaching... His disciples, everyone say disciples, and we know that by verse 1 of chapter 5 where it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and this is what comes next. And to clarify for a moment, a disciple is someone who has chosen to follow Jesus, okay? That is, that is one of those, I'll call it a Christianese term that we don't often define or strive to understand. A disciple is someone who has chosen to follow Jesus. And the disciples here were those who had literally left everything they knew and decided to follow after Jesus and his teaching and everything else that came with it. And it is a challenge for us to evaluate and go, am I a follower of Jesus? Not do I know the right things to say, not do I attend church often, not any of, am I a follower of Jesus? And the way to really check that is, do I understand what Jesus said and strive to live it out? Okay? So this is to the disciples. And in Matthew 5, verse 6, he says, Blessed, which blessed there means deeply joyful, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, in, for a moment, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 6 now. Look specifically at, starting at verse 25, and I'm going to read this whole section because it all fits together in context. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, 
What shall we eat? Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but specifically Matthew 6, as I was reading that this week, I realized that in most of my studies of Matthew 6, in this section of Matthew 6, I have primarily focused on Jesus' command there not to be anxious and not to worry. Have any of you done that as well? I mean, that is the, that's the main focus that I've looked at. And yet, what does Jesus say in verse 33? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. <clears throat> in other words, it is in the pursuit of the righteousness of God and the things of God's kingdom that will ultimately be that which brings relief from the anxieties and the worries that we have. And so in these two passages, there's really one thing that stands out in Jesus' teaching, and that is righteousness is to be something we long for and we seek out. I had a really good conversation with my seven-year-old this week. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a common habit. So on Wednesday afternoons, my wife volunteers at the local pregnancy center as an advocate. And so I go home for the afternoons and do my sermon study and my Sunday school preparation at home. And when my younger two go down for their nap right after lunchtime, um, my seven-year-old likes to come sit down at the table and she asks me, Dad, can you give me a devotion uh, from what your sermon's going to be on this week? And so we'll sit there and I'll read through some of the passages that we're going to talk about here. And she'll just dialogue with me. And one of the things that she said as I read Matthew 5, 6 this last week is she said, So is Jesus saying that if, if we follow him, then we won't actually need to eat food? <laughs> and I went, no. But what's interesting about that is I asked her, I said, What do you do when you're hungry? And she went, well... I get grouchy. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. But then what do you do? Well, I usually get something to eat. Right. You, you fill yourself so that you're no longer hungry. And I asked her, what do you do when you're thirsty? And she said, well, I'll go to the sink and I'll get a drink of water. And so Jesus, using the same illustration, is speaking specifically about righteousness that in the same way that we would seek to fill ourselves with food or water, we should be pursuing a righteousness from Him. It's to be something we long for. It should be something in Matthew 6 that we seek out. It's a, there's an active portion of this that we are striving for this. And a good question we should ask ourselves is, what am I actually striving for? What, what am I pursuing? What am I chasing Another thing I realized this week as I was preparing this is if you were to go into my garage, there is like two tubs, full giant Costco tubs sitting on a shelf in my garage of old ribbons and trophies from my childhood. How many of you have tubs of trophies somewhere? Okay. How many of you pull them out and look at them on a regular basis? 
Right? Now, what's interesting about that is that is a perfect illustration of what is going to happen to any earthly pursuit that you prioritize. Because every one of those trophies symbolizes a ton of effort and work and time that was invested. And the merit from that is sitting in a box in my garage. The pursuit and chasing after the righteousness of God is an eternal thing. It merits eternal rewards that, according to Jesus, cannot fade and cannot be taken away. It should be something we seek out, that we long for. Now, go back to the beginning of Matthew 6, chapter 1. There's a second teaching of Jesus here in Matthew 6, 1. He says, beware, everyone say beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. Everyone say no. You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And the obvious teaching here is that righteousness is not something we are to brag about. It is not to be something that we flash in front of people. And in fact, Jesus goes on from here and he talks about the Pharisees who did what? They stood on the street corner and they prayed. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my righteousness. They fasted in a way that everyone could see. Oh, I'm so hungry. And Jesus goes, that's their reward. People seeing them do their righteous deeds, that's the entirety of their reward if that's your focus. And so Jesus says, make sure you don't do that. Your righteousness, and ultimately where he says is to be practiced, is in secret. And a great application from that is to ask yourself the question, if people saw me and my priorities at home when no one is watching, who would they see? Who would people see behind closed doors with how I treat my wife or my children? Who would people see if they came in in the early morning or the late night? What am I devoting a majority of my time to? What is my language like behind closed doors? What do I spend the most time on? And if we can answer that question and say, I'm striving in humility to model Jesus in every part of my day, then we're on the right pursuit. We're seeking out righteousness. But it should not be something that we just want out in public before everyone. Rather, in recognition of who God is, it's something I seek out every part of every day, not for my own glory, but because He deserves all the glory. Now, I want you to actually... Uh, flip over to John chapter 16, another place of Jesus teaching on righteousness. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you hit Acts, you've gone too far. Um, John chapter 16. <clears throat> and I'm going to look specifically... At verse 8, and Jesus here is preparing and teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit that is going to come. 
This helper that's going to come. And so in verse 7, he actually says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so the third teaching of Jesus on righteousness here is that righteousness is a standard by which we are convicted. Jesus is not going to come the, the Spirit ultimately is not going to convict people primarily because of how many check marks they have in their church attendance. The conviction the Spirit of God brings is rooted in the righteousness of God. The standard set forth by God Himself and answering the question, can I stand before God being made new or not? And the Spirit of God convicts the individual towards that. And it's the the measuring stick by which everything else is put into perspective. And that's significant because we are really good about coming up with our own measuring sticks for determining who is actually doing well in their faith or not. And the reality is, the Spirit of God is the only one who has the job to convict and bring people to repentance. We are to speak truth and point people to Jesus, modeling that in our own life by our pursuit of righteousness. Now, this whole time, you may be asking the question, what is righteousness? And I wanted to give you Jesus' teaching on righteousness first, Because it is important we see that this was a priority in Jesus' ministry. This is something he talked about often and was continually pushing forward to his disciples. But what is righteousness? And the actual word for righteousness here can be understood as just, upright, or virtuous. Ultimately, biblical righteousness is rooted in God. He determines what is truly just, truly upright, and truly virtuous. And righteousness, ultimately, if we are walking in righteousness, it means we are walking in right standing before God Himself. A holy God. Completely set apart. And so there is specifically three things that we can understand righteousness is. And the first one is this. Righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. Romans 3.10 It says, for there is how many righteous... None. Everyone say none. There is none righteous. No, not one. But then there's these 
promise. I have been counted as righteous in Christ. Romans 4, verses 3 through 8. I'm just going to read these and you can note them down. But I want you to listen to these passages of Scripture. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Whew. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 27 through 31 says this. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In the same way, Philippians 3, verses 8-10 through 10 say, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Isaiah 61 emphasizes that you're clothed in righteousness. God clothes us in righteousness. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Understand, church, righteousness Being in right standing before God, first and foremost, is a gift from God through Christ. The only way for us to be in right standing before God is through Christ. And if I am not in Christ, I am not walking in righteousness no matter how much good I think I'm doing. Because apart from the gift given to us in Christ, it's impossible for us to walk in right standing before God. The second portion of this is that righteousness is not only a gift, it is a daily responsibility. And this is where we fall short. We all agree and love the fact that righteousness is a gift. I can be in right standing before God merely 
passively because Jesus paid it all. And amen to that. But, Jesus doesn't just call us to faith, He calls us to walk by faith. To take a daily responsibility in the midst of this. And in fact, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6 as we think about this. Romans chapter 6 verse 12. And as we strive to understand what is the daily responsibility that we're talking about here. Starting in verse 12 of Romans 6, and I'm going to read through verse 23. It says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Okay, that's a do not statement. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for what? Righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. That's that gift. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a daily responsibility to recognize I have been given a gift in Christ and called to live and walk in it. There's further text here. 1 Timothy 6.11 Paul tells Timothy, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.22 He says, Flee youthful passions and Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. 
1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins on His body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. 1 John 3.7 Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. 1 John 2.29 If you know that He is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices, everyone say practices, practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John 3.10 By this it is evident who are the children of God. This is convicting. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We have a daily responsibility to strive to walk in the righteousness revealed to us by Christ, motivated by the gift given to us in Christ. And the third and final truth here is that righteousness is also a future hope. I don't know about you, but I get discouraged often by my own personal battle with the flesh. And we tangle with this and it's so much easier just to give in and allow the flesh to rule than to pursue righteousness. But I find solace in this reminder about eternity. Second Peter 3.13 According to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen to that. But it does not mean we wait passively, church. It does not mean we sit idly by and we sit on our hands and we say, I've been given the gift of righteousness, so I'm going to do nothing because that completely rids the rest of what Scripture says we are called to as the church. We're called to walk daily in this as we anticipate a future hope that cannot be taken away, that is rooted in this reality that we will all dwell in righteousness with Jesus. So as we close, I want to give you a step-by-step process for how you can pursue righteousness, okay? And to make this easy, we made up about 200 of these bookmarks. And they're at center point, and there's some at the table by this door out here. Grab them, okay? They are free to you. And it is, I, I love having bookmarks for my Bible, even though I have, even though I have four ribbons in here, I'm always wanting more because I like to mark things and then come back to it. Anyway, grab these, stick them in your Bible. Stick them in a book you're reading, whatever. Take them, okay? If we run out, we'll make more. Here's the steps, okay? Step one might be the most obvious. Look to the person of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so tightly and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. He's our example. Secondly, 
Confess the areas of your life where you aren't being like Jesus. And they are there. Trust me. There are areas of your life where you are not modeling Jesus. Confess those. Be honest. Be transparent about them. Look to Jesus. Confess where you're not being like Jesus. Set goals and surround yourself with people who will encourage you to be more like Jesus. Do you see the theme? And by the way, these are all on this bookmark. Okay, So if you don't get all of these with all the scriptures, get one of these. Um, And then step four, repeat steps one through three. Do it again and again and again and again and again and again. This doesn't end until our future hope is fulfilled and we dwell in righteousness, church. And that day will come. But until then, may we strive to pursue this with a fervor and a passion to hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus himself has modeled and called us to. And may we do it not alone, but together. Amen? I'm going to have the worship team come. We're going to close with this song, More Like Jesus. We've been singing this throughout this whole series, and I really hope that this has become a prayer for you. That as we pursue this, we would strive to become more and more like Jesus. Father, I ask that you would help us to see the areas of our own life where we are not pursuing righteousness. Help us to fix our eyes on your son, the model of faith and righteousness. And that as we leave here, we would pursue it with hunger and thirst, with passion, trusting you in all things. We pray this in the powerful name of our Savior. Amen.